0: Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Well, good morning. It is great to see you all here on this beautiful morning. Now, for those of you who know me, you'll know that I am not very coordinated. Um, And so when I was in primary school, I, um, for a period of time, was playing in a netball team. I'm sure many of you also played in netball uh, when you were younger. And anyway, I played netball and I was really enthusiastic. Like I tried really hard. Like I did my absolute best. But I was terrible because I'm not coordinated. I'm not a good sports person. I think the one time I got a goal, I realised it was for the other team and that's why no one had stopped me. And so, when my friends um, on the team, when they would stuff up, because if you've played netball before, you know everyone stuffs up, at, you know, as you play the game, it's a very fast-paced game. When they would stuff up, the other team members would be like, it's okay, no worries, next time. But when I would stuff up, I would get rolled eyes, I'd get dirty looks, I would get negative comments and, you know, they would say some really unkind things. It'd just be that whole, like, oh, Sally, you know, that that whole thing again. And... As a result, I stopped playing netball and since then have never played a team sport again. That's the key for you to all go, Oh, poor thing. Now this is not a big deal for me. I'm not a sporty person. It is not a joy in my life. Like I do other activity thingies like, you know, I'll do tennis or I'll swim or I'll walk. Things where it's not a team, where I'm not letting anyone down. And I quite enjoy those things because I can still do my best and be enthusiastic and try and fail, but it's okay because I'm not, not affecting anyone else. But it's interesting to me that something that happened 30 years ago with a group of young girls still impacts my choices and decisions today. And it still impacts the way that I view team sport. Now, to me, this is a very minor thing. It's really not a big deal. But for many of you here today, you've had something similar but worse. You've also had people speak words into your life or do things and say things and those things are still impacting you today. Would that be true? Like that? that's something I think for all of us, if we look back over our lives, things that have happened in our childhood or our teen years or even our early adulthood can still be affecting us today. Maybe it's things like physical, sexual or emotional abuse or neglect in your childhood. Maybe bullying in school or in your workplace. Maybe a toxic relationship that you've had as an adult. And I think those things that have happened to you can kind of be like an open wound, something that has festered and something that is like infected and something that's never really ever got better something that is still impacting your choices and decisions and the way that you view yourself today. And if that's you today, if as I'm saying these words, you can identify with them, then I want to encourage you and I want to help you to understand how you can get free from your past. The Bible tells us that when someone becomes a a Christian, and by that I mean they repent of their sins, they They believe in God, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to die for us and they ask him to forgive them for their sins. When they do that, the Bible tells us our sins are forgiven, we are born again and we are given a new life. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. It tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that Jesus came to set us free. It says, He that's God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. So these are really awesome scriptures that tell us about how God wants to transform our life, give us a new life and set us free. He doesn't want us to live in bondage to our past. He doesn't want us to be held back by our past. He doesn't want that to be continuing to affect us today, which is great news. That's what God wants to do for us. But what if today you're a Christian, you have repented, you've asked Jesus to be your Lord You've been forgiven, born again, and you still don't feel free. What happens if what has happened in the past is still hurting you today? Well, I want to give you an example from the Bible of someone who I think can really help us in this situation. It's a story that many of you would be familiar with, and it's the story of Joseph. And I don't have time to go through it all in detail today, but you can read about it in Genesis chapter 37 um, through to 47. But, I mean, if you talk about a horrible childhood, Joseph had a horrible childhood. He had a terrible, terrible time as a kid. Um, he, His father, Jacob, had 12 sons. The first 10, his 10 older brothers, were all from different mothers, and then he had a younger brother who was the same mother as him. Now... One good thing in his life, he was his dad's favourite. So Joseph 37 verse 4, it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. I'm going to imagine what it would be like to have 10 older brothers that all joined in their hatred of you. They all hate you and they can't say a kind word to him. They're so jealous of him. So anything that they say to him is negative. I mean, I've seen siblings and I have grown up with siblings. And even when we love each other, we can say some really horrible things to each other. Imagine having 10 older brothers that all hate you and all jealous of you. And in fact, they hated him so much that when he was 17, they decided to kill him. That was their plan. At the last minute, they decided to sell him to slave traders who took him to Egypt, where he was sold as a slave to a guy named Potiphar, who was the captain of the king's guard. Now, he was there for a while and, I mean, I don't know about you, if I was um, the favoured son of Jacob who was a wealthy man and I'd been sold into slavery, then I think I would have tried to plead my case. I would have said, I shouldn't be a slave, you can't force me to do this and I would have, you know, sat in my corner and sulked and said, you can't make me work in the fields and work for long hours. But Joseph didn't do that. It tells us that he worked hard at what he did. He did the best that he could and he ended up becoming um, so well appreciated by Potiphar that he would put him in charge over his entire household. Then Potiphar's wife thinks, hmm, he's nice, and she tries to sleep with him. And when he refuses, she lies and says that he tried to rape her and she gets him thrown in prison. No trial, nothing, just straight thrown in prison and it would not have been a nice prison so basically here's this guy who had 10 older brothers who hated him so much that they tried to kill him. Then he gets made to be a slave, who works really hard, and then he gets accused unfairly just because he actually did the right thing and said no, he gets accused and gets thrown into prison. What a horrible start to your life. And yet in, where this part of the story is told is in Genesis chapter 39 and in that chapter there are four times when it says, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. And three times it also says, helping him succeed. So we can see that in Genesis chapter 39 verse 3, the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. So even at his absolute worst time, Joseph knew that God was with him. And he said, and God is here helping me succeed. Even in this worst situation, God is on my side and he's helping me. So he worked hard in prison as well and he got put in charge of all the other prisoners. Then the king's cupbearer got thrown into prison and had a dream that he couldn't understand. So Joseph interpreted it for him. And after he interpreted it, he said to the cupbearer, when you get restored to working for the king again, It says in Genesis 40 verse 14, Please remember me and do me a favour when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh that he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. But even though he's helped the cupbearer, the cupbearer forgets all about him. Then two years later, a whole two years later he has to wait, Pharaoh has dreams that he can't interpret and the cupbearer finally goes Oh, that's right. I remember this dude that helped me. Um, and so he says, get Joseph to come and interpret your dreams. Joseph comes and he says, Pharaoh, your dreams are telling you that um, this nation of Egypt is going to have seven years of plenty, not just Egypt, but the regions all around, have seven years of plenty, and then we're gonna have seven years of famine. So, really, what you should do is get someone. Um, put them in charge and make sure that they collect grain and food during the seven years of plenty so that during the seven years of famine we have enough to eat. Pharaoh goes, wow, that's a really good idea. I think you should be the man to do that. And so Joseph in a day goes from being a slave who was in prison to being the second in command of all of Egypt. When that happens, he's 30. He's 30. So that means he had 17 years of being hated by 10 older brothers and then 13 years of slavery and prison. 30 years of a hellish life. And now things are looking good. What a horrible start. Now nine years later, his brothers come to Egypt because they're starving and their families need food. So they come to Joseph to request the grain And they don't recognise him. I don't know about you, but I reckon that would be a perfect time for revenge. (laughs) Because the tables have turned now, haven't they? And they are needing Joseph's help. I mean, he could just send them away. That would be one way to get his revenge. Or he's got all these soldiers at his command. He could have them arrested. He could have them tortured. He could have them executed. He could really do anything he wants. They are in his power. But he doesn't do that. It is interesting if you read it though, what he does do is he tests their attitude. He doesn't just immediately say, hey guys, it's me. He waits and he puts them through a series of tests to see whether their attitude and their heart has changed. And during this time he hears them say, it says in Genesis chapter 42, 21, when they're going, what is going on? Why is all this stuff happening to us? They say to each other, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. He could see that they were really ashamed of what they had done, that in fact they saw anything that bad happened in their life was punishment from God for the horrible thing they did to their brother. And so after quite a significant period of time, potentially a year or two, um, Joseph finally tells them who he is when he sees that they really have changed. He says in Genesis chapter 45, verse 4, it says, I'm your brother, Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. Then he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked to him. How amazing is that, that he tells them? And then he weeps and he kisses and he hugs them. And then they talk with him. I love that last sentence. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Like they've gone from he's the governor to now we are back to being brothers. We can talk to you like our brother. Their relationship Is restored. He invites his brothers and his father to come and live with him in Egypt where he can look after them. And after that, Joseph continues to live a successful life as the governor of Egypt until the day he dies. I think it's fair to say Joseph had a really horrible life. He had the worst start in a life. And yet he didn't stop that. He didn't allow that to stop him from having the future that God had planned for him. He didn't allow what others had done to him to ruin his life. He had every excuse, every reason to be bitter, to be angry, to just spend his whole life as a slave, whinging and complaining and saying, how dare they have done this to me? That could have been his story. But instead he said, well, here's the situation I'm in. I'm going to do the best with what I can because the Lord is with me and he's going to help me succeed. So I think we can take some lessons from what Joseph did. And the first one I want to suggest, if we want to be free from our past, I think the first one we need to actually do is seek justice. I'm going to talk about forgiveness because forgiveness is very important. But I think sometimes as Christians, we kind of skip over the justice part and jump straight to forgiveness. But it is actually right to seek justice. I'm not talking about revenge. I'm talking about justice. Just like Joseph asked the cupbearer to appeal to Pharaoh um, on his behalf, it is right to report a bully. It is right to go to the police when someone has done something unlawful and done something wrong. It is right to go and talk to someone when you are being mistreated it is a good thing to go and get help because if we don't stand up and if we don't say something, then that person can continue to hurt you or continue to hurt other people. Isaiah one seventeen says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Like I said, this is not about getting revenge. Never, that should, that should not be our heart. That's not what justice is. Justice is saying when someone has done wrong, it is the right thing to do to make sure the laws of the land are put into place. To bring um, correction there. I mean, Joseph was also wise. Before restoring his relationship with his brothers, he made sure that they had really changed. He he waited a period of time to make sure that they had really understood that what they had done was wrong. And from there he was able to restore his relationship. And again, I'm going to talk about forgiveness in a moment because forgiveness is about our attitude. But sometimes we need to be wise. If people from our past are continuing to hurt us, continuing to abuse us, are continuing to do wrong by us, then we need to get some wisdom, get some godly counsel about some boundaries that we can put in place to protect ourselves and our families from continuing to be hurt by someone who is doing the wrong thing by us. Are you with me? The second thing I want to encourage you to do is replace the lies with the truth. You know, Joseph's brothers could not say a kind word about him. Potiphar's wife lied about him. The cupbearer forgot about him. All these unkind, horrible, mean words were spoken over Joseph. All these horrible actions were taken towards him. And it would have been so easy for him to believe that he really was worthless, that he really was a horrible person, that he really was lesser than, that he really was not good enough how could anyone ever love him or want him because he was such a terrible person he could believe that stuff that he was told but Joseph repeatedly said the Lord is with me giving me success the Lord is with me he is giving me success in the darkness of his situation Joseph didn't focus on what other people thought of him he focused on what God thought of him Can I say that again? That in the darkness of his situation, he didn't focus on what other people thought of him. He focused on what God thought of him. Some of you sitting here today have had people speak horrible words over your life and have done horrible things to you and have made you think that you are not worthless, sorry, that you are worthless, that you are not important and that you are not lovable. And I say today, these are lies. These are lies. That is not the truth. And how do we break a lie? How do we deal with a lie? Well, what we do is we expose it to the truth because the truth always beats a lie. The Bible is full of God's truth. And, you know, we say this every week when we preach. We encourage people to read their Bibles because it is full of, of truth. It is full of light. And so when you've got those lies in your head from what people have said to you before, we need to expose it to the truth. We need to be reading the word of God and getting that truth into us so that we can see that those things are lies. One great strategy is to identify the lie, to work out what is it that you've been told? What is it that's that voice in your head saying? that you are not loved or you are not worthy or whatever it is. Identify what that lie is and then find a scripture that speaks the truth over that situation. If you struggle to find a scripture, come and see me or Pete or Josh or one of us would be able to love to help you find a scripture that's going to help you speak the truth into that situation. And so when you have that scripture, you can learn it, you can put it on post-it notes, you can put it in your phone, you can put it anywhere you like. And then when you hear that lie, repeat the truth. For example, if you feel worthless, I think Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 is great. It says, we are God's masterpiece, not his accident, not his mistake, not his thing where you went, oh, that'll do, that's good enough. He looks at us and he says, you are my masterpiece. I created you and you in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things I planned for you long ago. If you think no one could ever love you, read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. 2 verse 4, which says that God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, even though we were a sinner, even though we have done so many wrong things, he gave his life for us when he raised Christ from the dead. And you know, sometimes we can think, well, yeah, God has to love us, but it doesn't mean he likes me. Well, if you think he could no one could ever like you, look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says, The Lord your God will take delight in you. Delights in us. He has joy when he sees us. He doesn't just love us, he likes us and he wants to be with us and have that relationship with us. If you think no one could ever value you, 1 John 3.1 says, see how much, very much our Father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are. We are children of the Most High God, the King of all kings, and he loves us as we love our own children. The third step I want to encourage you on is forgiving, asking God to help you forgive because forgiving is very hard. And Joseph forgave his brothers, and he forgave them not just for that one act of selling him into slavery, but he forgave them for their years of abuse he forgave them for all the consequences that came from being sold into slavery. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You know, we all know the Bible says to forgive, but I find it very hard to do. I find it extremely difficult to do and I can really only do it with God's help. I know barriers for forgiveness for me and I know this is true for other people too is that you think, well, they don't deserve my forgiveness or they haven't even apologised so why should I forgive? But we forgive not because someone deserves it or because they've apologised. We forgive because God forgave us. And because if we don't forgive, then we end up carrying that burden of unforgiveness and bitterness, and that ends up hurting us even more. When we forgive, we are set free from that. Now, my experience, forgiveness, like I said, I find it hard to do, even sometimes really minor things. In fact, that's probably what upsets me the most is you sort of can understand with a big thing that it could take a while to forgive, but one of those little things I just hold on to unforgiveness and get, you know, really offended at that person for an extended period of time. Um, you know, I find it quite hard to do. And I have found that for me forgiveness is a process. It's not something I can just do, oh, I forgive someone and it's done. Generally, it takes me time and often I have to actually pray first, God, I don't even want to forgive this person. Help me to even want to forgive them. And sometimes I have to pray that for a little while (laughs) before I actually get to the point of going, okay, God, I do want to forgive them. Please help me to forgive. And then when I get to a point of going, okay, he's helping me, I do want to forgive it, then I have to say the words out loud and say, you know, God, I forgive them for saying X, Y, Z or doing ABC, whatever it is. But I often find I don't say it like that. It's more like, oh, God, fine, forgive them, I forgive them, you know. And you're sort of saying it through gritted teeth. But you just keep saying it and saying it out loud is powerful. You keep saying it until you actually mean it. And then when you actually mean it, it's the best feeling in the world when you're like, oh, I've forgiven them. That weight's lifted off your shoulders, but in my experience often the next day that anger and that offence comes back someone will say something or do something or something will remind me of it and I'm like oh I'm still so annoyed at that person and you're like oh, I thought I forgave them I thought I've dealt with that and then you have to go through that process again oh god help me to forgive them oh god I do forgive them I forgive them for that oh, you know and you, you keep saying it until you mean it and then oh, the weight is gone And then a couple of days later, you're like, oh, that person again. And you feel that frustration again. But what I tend to find is when I do this, that the time it takes to me to feel that offence and that anger or that hurt again is greater each time. And each time it's quicker and easier for me to forgive. Until I finally get to a point where I'm like, do you know what? I think I actually have legitimately forgiven them for that. I haven't felt that anger or that frustration uh, or that hurt anymore. When it comes up in my mind, I'm able to quickly go, you know what? I've forgiven them for that and I'm able to move on. But I want to encourage you with that because if you're like me and can't just do the the two-second forgiveness, that's okay. God sees your heart. But just call out to him and say, God, help me with this. I'm struggling to forgive. Please You forgave me when I was still a sinner. You forgave me when I didn't deserve it. Please help me to extend that same forgiveness to someone else. You know, Joseph could have allowed what they did to him to ruin not just the first 30 years of his life but the rest of his life. But he didn't. He didn't allow someone what they'd done wrong before to continue to hurt him. By forgiving them, he was able to release that hurt. And finally, I want to encourage you to look for the good. Joseph could see how God brought good out of this horrible situation. In Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, he said to his brothers, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Now, I want to be really clear here. He's not saying, well, God was like, hmm, How can I help them with the famine that's coming up? I know, I'm going to get this boy to be so hated by his brothers that they sell him into slavery and then I'm going to make sure, you know, like that's not God's heart. God is a loving God. He did not make this happen. Sin in the hearts of those brothers, sin in the hearts of Potiphar's wife, those are the things that made that happen. But God said, here is a horrible situation that's happening to one of my children. I'm going to be with him and I'm going to help him succeed in the worst of those circumstances and I'm going to bring good out of this situation. And that's the same thing that God wants to do for us. When he sees people do wrong by us, it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart to see his children being hurt. But he is there with us, helping us succeed in spite of what's happened. And if we say to him, Lord, show me what's good that I, that can come out of this. Show me how you can change my character. Show me how I can then be a support to someone else who's going through something similar to what I went through. Then we can see that God can bring the good out of that situation. You know, I'm very blessed. I've never broken a bone. I've never had any serious injuries. And... You know, I was trying to think about scars, and apart from my C-section scar, I think, you know, probably the biggest scar I have is in my eyebrow when I ran as a three-year-old into a table, as you do, and blood was pouring everywhere and had to go get stitches. But, you know, apart from that, I've never had any really big injuries or big scars. But I know many of you here today have. You've had car accidents or fallen off bikes or jumped on trampolines or done something equally dangerous, and you've broken bones You've had to go to the hospital, you've burnt yourself or you've done something that's left a wound. But I'm pretty sure in all of those cases, you did rush to the hospital. You didn't just sit at home and go, huh, my arm is not working. I'm just going to sit here and hope this gets better. You went and got help from experts. You went and got doctors, you had surgeons, you would have had physio, you would have had medication, you would have done whatever you could to help your broken arm or your broken leg or whatever it was get better. And so it's kind of the same as when we get hurt by our past. We can just kind of leave it and let it fester and get infected and just hope that one day it gets better. Or we can go to our God who is the greatest doctor of all, the greatest surgeon of all, and we can say, please help. Please help me heal. And just like when we have a broken bone, it can take, like the bigger the trauma, the bigger the time it takes to heal. It can take days, weeks, months, years. Lots and lots of physio, lots and lots of rehab. Or in our case, lots and lots of prayer, lots and lots of scripture, lots and lots of going to God. But if we do that, instead of being left with an open wound, we're just left with a scar. And, you know, my scars are a reminder to me of things that have happened in my past. But they don't hurt me anymore. They no longer have the power to impact on me. They are just simply a reminder. Someone once said, our past can be something that explains or something that defines us. We don't want to be people who have our past defining us. Yes, it can explain our situation. Yes, those scars can be a reminder of what's happened. But it doesn't have to be something that impacts our choices and our decisions and how we feel every day. If we want to be free from our past, yes, seek justice. Go to the Word of God and replace the lies with the truth. Ask God to help us forgive. We need to look for the good that God is bringing out of that situation. And when we do those things, we truly can be free from our past because Jesus came to set us free. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.